0: looking forward to opening the Word uh, as a family this morning and looking at some more of that. Let me just go ahead and pray for our time and that the Word would be alive. It truly is living and active and I hope that will be the case for us this morning. Father, thanks for being our dad. Thanks for sending a son to rescue us and redeem us to yourselves. Lord, we want to submit to your spirit today as we listen to your word. It's your spirit that makes the word true and live and living and active in our hearts. Lord, otherwise it could be history lessons or it could be opinion or who knows what. But if you will make it alive, Lord, you can transform us in the hearing and the discussing of this today. So we give you this time. We pray that it brings you pleasure and brings your father glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so here's what we're going to do, just kind of like we've done this weekend, and like you do sometimes, is often when I teach, i got to ask a lot of questions, because I don't know that much, and so I want to learn together, and also I want to hear your hearts and all that. So along the way, I'm going to be asking a bunch of questions. Um, In fact, I'm going to... I'm going to open us up with a few questions. Ultimately, I'm going to be in Colossians this morning. First chapter of Colossians. And we're going to be looking at the second half of an amazing prayer that the Apostle Paul prays over a young congregation. Okay? A young congregation that he's pretty stoked about what's been going on amongst them. But he also has some, some prayer for them that they would even go further and that there would be, there would be more of the gospel goodness in their life. Okay, but first I want to just set up with a little discussion of some stuff here. Um, for those of you that were uh, here this week, and especially when we went through the story of God as a story, but even if you weren't, you still probably know from the story, but uh, just from the Word of God, what is the most, what would you say is the most profound aspect, okay, the most unique thing about the way God created humans? What's the most profound thing about them, the most unique thing about humans? Okay, yeah. That humans, we were all actually created in God's image to be like Him. Meaning, like it or not, we are walking around to some degree displaying what God is like. Okay? That, that actually is what the word glory means. To glorify something is to show what it's like. Okay? So when you say, like, glory to God, it means, like, that He may be seen. So, yeah, so, so if that's profound. That, that humans were created in God's own image. Okay? And then, when when humans were first created and they're hanging out, they're in the garden, right? They're in the Garden of Eden. What are they up to? What do, what's, what's their life look like? What sort of is the primary stuff they're about? Okay? Got, not yet. Not in the garden yet. But that's coming. We're going to look at that. They're commanded to. They can't wait to get to that, though, Josh. So... I mean, if you've got a naked bride, you know what I'm saying? Just hanging out naked all the time. Huh? Taking care of the creation. Okay. Taking care of the creation. Right. God gives them, right away, an amazing role and confidence and trust he puts in them. Hey, care for my stuff. Care for the creation. And that would include each other. Right? And then what else we see them doing? Sort of daily it says they would do what? Walk with God. Hang out with God. And I think it's fair to say, in the simplest but maybe most profound of ways, that kind of the purpose of our life, what we were created to do, was bear God's image, right? Show the world what he looks like. And hang out with him. That's worship, actually, because what we're saying, you're the center of the universe. We want to hang out with you. And then take care of his creation. Those are the three primary things. That's the reasons we're here. Bear God's image, hang out with him, care for his stuff. Care for his stuff. Now, let's look at that, okay? That's what humans are about. In light of the story, let's look at the trajectory that this takes on from a few other passages. Let me just read a couple things to you. Genesis 1, 27, 28. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them in his image. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. That's what Duncan was wanting to get to. That's what he says. In light of how I've made you to be... ...bearing my image, hanging out with me... ...and caring for my stuff... ...he says that to them. Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth. Now jump ahead a little bit further in the story. Um, Humans have not walked well in the ways of God... ...and God actually gets to the point where he's heartbroken enough... ...that he destroys the earth and most all of humanity with a flood. But he spares Noah and his family. Right Right after they come off the ark after this horrendous, amazing destruction, they're stoked because God has spared them, and i.e. us. We're sitting here talking about it because God spared the human race. And this is what God says to Noah. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And then again, a couple of verses later, he says, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Noticing a little pattern here? ...what God sort of said to the humans initially... ...and then as he's restarting the human race... ...he says the same exact thing. And then let's jump way ahead in the story. Jesus has now lived the perfect life... ...died death and his, given his life in place of ours... ...exchanged like our rebellious jacked up lives... ...for his perfect righteous life. And now he's going, getting ready to go back to be with the Father... ...and he's talking to his disciples... Those who are his followers. And he says this. Then Jesus came and said to them. This is in Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said... All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, he tells them... Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father... And of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... good. This is good news. I am with you always... To the very end of the age. Okay, so in light of this pattern we see in the story, what are you thinking? What are you seeing? What are, what, what's jumping out of those, that trajectory for you? What do you think? You to things to make more things. Okay, good. okay all right but there seems to be a trajectory doesn't there what are the what are these what are these humans and now these followers of Jesus who are basically a restored humanity what are they to be about what is this bearing God's image and caring for his stuff supposed to do just like stay it's supposed to multiply yep it's supposed to go and it's supposed to multiply, and now make more disciples. So it's both physical and spiritual, because there's going to be more people, hopefully, like this. Now, it's in light of that, who we were created to be, and this trajectory that comes out of the story, be fruitful and multiply. Let's listen to what, what Paul says now to the Colossians, and see if it takes on a little bit more weight, okay? Colossians 1, 9 to 14. We can bust that up there, guys, if you want. Boom! For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, Paul says. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, It takes on a lot of weight in light of that trajectory. And I love the word, I love the word in here, redemption. Redemption. Um, That word, redemption, is like you exchange one thing that's particularly not of value for something of a much greater value. Paul's saying that's what's happened to us. We sort of exchange these lives that were not necessarily that great are amazing. In fact, they could have been darn right horrible, not fruitful at all. And now they've been redeemed. They've been traded in. I love that word. When I was a kid, um, this word first started to mean something for me. So now when I read scripture, I go like, oh, I love that. This will date me a little bit. We used to be able to go to this one movie theater in my neighborhood, and you could collect Pepsi bo- uh, pop tops, you know, bottle caps. Pop tops is what we call them. Um, Bottle caps, and if you had like nine of them, you could trade. You could that you could redeem them. It said for a movie ticket, you can go to a movie for free and see some old like movie, *Bambi* or something. I don't know something. Yeah. And so I love this idea of redeeming trash that we found in the alley, or like, or we would go around the neighborhood and find for something of greater value. That is exactly what. No, that's kind of like what Paul is saying here for us. That we've traded in, we redeemed. Through, through the work of Christ, kind of a worthless life for this new life. He's, re, he's basically saying to the church that same trajectory and that same bunch of stuff. Now it starts, that passage starts, it says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. What reason? For this reason, we've not stopped praying for you, church. For what reason? And we've got to back up just a little bit in the passage to see what that reason is. Verse 6 has this. It says, the gospel... you, You follow along on the slides there, brother? Awesome. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Just as it has been doing among you. That's the reason Paul is stoked. And that's the reason he's praying for more fruitfulness. The gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you. So Paul is pointing out and praying for the Colossians that because the gospel came into their region, came into their city, right, people are getting to know what God is like. I.e., his image is being multiplied and bared. Okay? And he's saying, people are now walking with Christ, hanging out with God again, just like the garden, right? Walking with God in the cool of the day. And he says that the gospel is being fruitful and multiplying outward. If the gospel is going out, and it's going into your lives, and it's going out from your life into others, that's creation being cared for in the best possible way. Because cleaning up some mess is one thing. You know, trimming some trees or planting a few more trees is awesome. But the best way we care for God's creation, his stuff is that we would take the Gospel to those that He loves dearly and created in His image, that they might know Him and better bear His image truthfully. Paul is saying because the Gospel has come to root, basically, humanity is being restored. This gospel's going out, and it's for this reason that I rejoice, and I pray for you. Because people are living the way God created them to live once again. That's what's happening here. Back to our original purpose, that's what the Gospel does when it soaks into a community. God's image is displayed. People know what he's like. Oh, I thought God was a big, mean, like some sort of force just waiting to squash us. But as I look at all of you, and I see how you love each other and live, and you bear his image so lovingly and accepting, and yet, you know, when you fight, you forgive, and you share your stuff, and you're generous, and you produce lots of goodness and beauty, and value, but you give it away to others. That's what God is like. That's what the Father's like. His image is being displayed well in you, he's saying. And because of that, and because now the Spirit is coming to people, people are walking with God in the cool of the day. And in the hot of the day, and in the tough parts of the day, they're walking with God all day. And that is leading them to have great care for others. And so the Gospel has now gone out into the whole world, he says. Boy, that's caring for people. When you give yourself away that the Gospel might go, that you don't just keep that goodness for yourself but you actually share it. That's what Paul's saying. Back to the original purpose. So if this gospel went out throughout the whole world, Paul is saying, that's kind of crazy, the whole world already? It's only been, I don't know, 20, 30 years at the max since Jesus came back to heaven, since he died and rose again. Paul's saying it went out to the whole world. How did this happen, do you think? How did the gospel go from like 12 and then originally 120 or so? Hanging out at Pentecost? How did the gospel in that short of time go out to the whole world? Do you you imagine? Okay, people were sent out. Families sent family away and out to say, this is too good to keep for us. That's what we're getting ready to do with Sean. Brother Sean and Daisy and the family and others of you are praying about, like... Really? Would, could we? Would we get to? Could we? Could we take this amazing good news, this care of the creation, to others? Like Ventura needs that badly, you know. What else? How else? So people were sent. What else must have been happening if the gospel has now spread? Great. They had to be proclaiming what happened. It's not just a matter of here we are. We're sent. Now we're over here. we aren't we nice? Aren't we cool? Don't we wear the right stuff? People had to be proclaiming the good news. Both in their life and their actions. Like they lived differently. But they also were open in their mouths. They were proclaiming this good news. Like I got to tell you of what's happened in our lives. And the fact that this, this restoration of humanity back to its original purpose is for you too. Jesus died. In your place so that this shame and guilt and jacked upness you have and feel can be taken away. It was put on him. In fact, it's, it's finished if you just believe that and accept that for yourself. We've got to go and tell people about that. That's must, that must be what's happening. And that's Paul saying, for that reason I rejoice and I pray for you guys. Paul wants the Colossians to know that the fruit of faith, the fruit of the gospel. And in the previous half of the prayer he prayed for faith, hope and love. For them. He, say, he wants them to know that the faith, the, the fruit of that, should compel them to talk up Jesus. That if the gospel had come to root in them, that they should be out making much of the gospel, making much of Jesus. It should just be pouring out of you. Not in weird ways, in normal ways. Like, come on, I can't not. It's too great. It's too great. And I think that nowhere in Paul's writings, in in all the epistles, do we see him express like greater importance around evangelism. You know, that's kind of a weird word, you know. But what he's saying is around this idea that we have to be proclaimers. We get to be proclaimers. It's too good to hold in. If we're going to care for the creation in the best possible ways, it's going to be happening. It's going to flow out of us. And he's saying that the proclamation of the gospel actually clarifies both the intentions okay and the results of this grace so the intention of the gospel the intention of grace is that we we'll would be cleaned up and he's saying the results of that is that you'd go out and you'd you'd be fruitful and multiply you'd go out and increase in number this gospel of grace clarifies both the results and the intent and the intent yep So as we grow in our understanding of the gospel and as we grow in grace, we will, Paul is saying, we will be out sharing our faith. It's part of the gospel coming to root. He's not saying you should. He's saying, no, it will. If the gospel is real in your life, you will be out being fruitful and multiplying. Paul insists that the good news about salvation must be proclaimed. In fact, it's central to our identity in Christ. This idea of going and making, being a missionary people. See, if we're creating God's image, that means we're like him, it says. Like, created in our image to be like us. And from the beginning of the story, we see the trajectory of a God who's going and pursuing, don't we? As soon as humans jacked up, we saw it in the story. God goes, boom, where are you? He goes looking for them. He goes after them in their sin and rebellion. And we see the same thing with Cain, and we see it over and over and over and over and over with Israel. And then it's, it's like God says, I've got to even get closer, and he sends his son. He comes in the form of human flesh to pursue. He didn't just stand up in heaven and pronounce the good news. He came, he wore the scratchy robe and beard and the sandals, and he, he went. And Paul's saying, if the gospel's come to be real in you, if that grace is soaked into your life, That's what you'll be like. That's what you'll be like. And so what's interesting, though, is Paul seems to be somewhat impressed, somewhat stoked about what he's seeing emerging in this community. But he seems to detect some certain immaturity in them. There's not a fullness yet of this. It's not amongst everybody to the degree he would like. And that's why you see him pray in that, in that passage. He's asking God for more knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding. He wants them to understand what's now true of them. As a missionary, as a missionary people, the gospel of grace will and is producing this kind of fruit around the world and in you. See, Paul's, Paul's emphasizing a very realized kingdom versus just a future one. He's saying this is now. Don't wait for this. Don't wait for somebody else. This is true of us now. And I think the hard, the hard edge of this, this passage for me is if that's not happening in our lives, if that's not happening in my life, if I'm not being fruitful and multiplying the gospel out there, has the gospel really come to root in my heart? The fullness of it. Or do I still need to grow in wisdom and knowledge and spiritual understanding of just what's happened? Just what God's wanting to do in and through us. It's kind of the hard edge of that. Let's look at this next little piece. I want to jump back a little bit to verse 10. He goes, I have not stopped praying for you Okay? I have not stopped praying for you so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Just think about that a little bit. I've not stopped praying for you so you would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, what God's like. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience and give joyful thanks to the Father. That's kind of crazy to me. I, that live a life worthy of the Lord. I had a friend ask me once, he said, Caesar, are you living a life worth Christ dying for? I was like, ouch, what are you saying? Like, is the life you're living right now, this side of the cross, you know, as a saved one, as a redeemed one, right, traded in one, is that that what Christ died for? He's not saying worthy of the Lord in the sense of like, you're not worth anything, you know, because Jesus loved us enough to die for us crazy for his Father's glory. But he's going like, are you living a life worthy of what Christ went through? Is that what he died for? Like, did Christ die for Sunday church attendance for an hour and a half? And then back to our American dream life? I don't think so. And even though this wasn't America and they didn't have a dream life in the first century, Paul's kind of saying the same thing. I've not stopped praying for you so that you may have a life worthy of the cross. Worthy of the Lord. And he's saying something really provocative here that could kind of jack with our heads and our hearts a little bit. He's saying he's connecting a worthy life, one that is worthy, with every good work. Hmm. There's good works that are involved in living a life that's worthy of the Lord. And he's saying that the Gospel should produce in us a worthy life full of good works. That is, pleasing to God. Pleasing to God. That's kind of provocative. Because we know that we are fully accepted by the Father because of what Christ has already done. His work... Earned us that acceptance. There's nothing we could ever do. If you're in Christ, if you've put your hope and your trust in what Christ has done, then the Father looks at you and He just sees Jesus. He doesn't see your jacked up past or any of the stuff that, you know, this morning you're like, I wish I wouldn't have said that. You know, it's like He just sees the Son. So we know because of Christ's work, we're accepted by the Father. That's the gospel. But He's saying, and. And our good works now please the Father. That's pretty cool. As long as we don't think our good works earn us any acceptance, Paul is saying, but there's, there is a life of fruitfulness and multiplication that's pleasing to the Father. And, and I don't know about you, but the longer that I do walk in the story and walk in faith and the, and the gospel grace is kind of starting to soak into some of those parts of my life that I didn't let it before. I'm kind of struck with two things more often these days. One is, just how jacked up of a dirt bag I really am. And how amazingly forgiven and accepted in Christ I am. And what that produces in me increasingly is going like, Dad, I, I can't even believe this. What could, I mean, I know you're not asking for it, but could I please you somehow? Could I live a life like, can I please you? I'd love to please you. And Paul is saying, you get to. You get to live a life that's worthy of the cross and good works that please the Father. So I'm like going, all right, Paul, let's have it. Because I want to be pleasing to the Father. So, here's what he says. In light of this passage, he shows us a A few ways that we can please God. Verse 10 says this. Okay, it's still up there, right? Yeah, verse 10 says, bearing fruit in every good work pleases God. For those who are in Christ, bearing fruit in every good work pleases God. And the word used there in the Greek is for bearing fruit could also mean fertile. Okay? You can think of what that means to you. Being fertile. Fertile ground. Fertile ground for a woman, you know, for, for men. Fertile, you know. Like really ready to reproduce. So, bearing fruit in every good work pleases God. What do you think a fruitful person looks like? Let's just discuss that a little bit. What's a fruitful person look like in light of what we've been talking about, in light of the way the story informs us? Okay. Happy, confident. Maybe all those fruits of the Spirit, we see gentleness and joy and peace, right, and all that stuff. Patience, okay. What else would a fruit, in light of what we've been talking about, the trajectory and all that stuff, how we were created, what's a fruitful person look like? Okay. Grace, because it's a gospel of grace. Okay. Giving life away that's sweet, that's amazing, like the Father did. That, that fruitfulness would be like that. Okay, what else? Living okay. Living in community, that bears God's image, because he's a trinity, he lives in community, kind of blows our mind, we don't fully understand it, but we know we have a God that's... Exists in a community. So living life in community is, is bearing fruit that's pleasing to God. Okay, what else? Not okay, trusting God, not worrying. Boom, I think that's the big one. Increasing the number of followers around them that are now following Jesus. I.e., making disciples that make disciples. Wasn't that the command? And it's, all, it's everything we just said. It's everything all of you just said in those disciples, in our lives, and then reproducing that gospel fruit in them. But the fruitfulness that, that Paul's getting after, because remember he said, for this reason I pray these things for you? Because the gospel's gone out throughout the whole world? And you all said that must have happened because people were sent and they made disciples? That's fruitfulness that pleases God. That's fruitfulness that pleases God. Making disciples out proclaiming the good news. If we want to please the Father today, while being fully accepted in Christ, but if you want to please the Father today, make disciples. Make disciples. You you do that in community. We talked a whole lot about that this weekend. So it's not like you have to go out and somehow muster up a disciple on your own. But in community, we best... As the body, right, as the body of Christ, that's the Greek word soma, as the body of Christ, we together we show people what God's really like. And then we invite them to walk in the ways. That's, fruit, that's, that's a good fruitfulness. That's a fruitfulness that Paul is saying pleases God. Even more than being nice and giving your stuff away. Okay, but it would lead to that. Okay, something else. This God, it says, verse ten, growing in the knowledge of God pleases Him. Growing in the knowledge is so. What are some ways we could grow in the knowledge of God? Okay, obvious, good one. Read His Word. Be in the Word. God reveals Himself through the Bible. The Bible's not just there so you would read it so you could check off a box. It's, it's been given to us because God's revealing himself through the story. Yeah, great. How else could we grow in the knowledge of God? Okay, through worship. Okay, what do you mean by that? Okay, great. Spending time with God, with him at the center of your thoughts and your heart. Sort of his light reflecting on all the stuff of your darkness. And your day and what you have to face and the stuff that's bugging you and the stuff that you're excited about. That's what worship is. Yeah. Okay, good. What else? How else can we grow in the knowledge of God, do you think? Allowing. Allowing? Okay. Through community. Having a community that collectively is bearing God's image, hearing from God and speaking into our lives of what He's like. What he's wanting to do. That will grow in the knowledge of God that way. Absolutely. What else? Yeah. Amazing. Talk to God. Spend time listening to him. We talked a little bit about this this weekend. This rhythm of life. That What if we could cultivate a rhythm of maybe daily or weekly setting aside a little bit of time just to listen to God. Just to get to know him. Like, what's up, God? I mean, just try it sometime. I don't know if you've ever done it. Try to, try to seriously be silent and not say anything to God for like 10 minutes. It's maddening. <laughs> we are so used, to, we're so full of ourselves. And even with God, we do all the talking, you know growing in the knowledge of God, I would guess a primary way is going to be listen to him and let him tell you what he's like and what he's thinking and what he's got for you and what goodness he's wanting to pour into your life. Primarily, probably, to go out then to others because he is not looking for a bucket. He's looking for conduits of his grace, you know. Try it sometime. Try to quiet your mind. And even as thoughts come in or you want to tell God what to do or rub the genie God lamp and ask him to do a bunch of stuff for you, just say, hold on, sorry. I'm listening. And just try to cultivate a listening ear. You'll be shocked at what you'll hear. I'm often, I'm often blown away by the fact that I have the spirit of the living God living in me. And I just don't like live in a cave in silence so I could just hear him all day because I get to. And yet, because he said no, what pleases him is fruitful multiplication. We know we don't get to. But, but shouldn't we want to hear his voice more? You know, So growing in the knowledge of God, in his word, in community, as we see what others are like. Here's another one I want to suggest. You'll, you want to grow in the knowledge of what God's like? Get out on his mission in some radical ways that require him to show up. Think about it. If we're in missional communities and we're sort of picking you know, mission and people groups that we want to go make disciples of, but we set the bar so low that our schedule fits in and our resources can get it done and our skill and our attitude. You know, basically, we pick a mission we can pull off. God just sits back and goes, well, yeah, you get to. But what if, what if we fling ourselves into a mission that's so much bigger than us Like, we want to see a gospel community, a mission community, for every thousand people. We want want nobody to not have some proximity to a gospel community where they just get to see what God's like and grow in the knowledge of Him. What if we say stuff like that, where it requires God to show up in some profound ways. You go, that's the kind of provision He's able to do? That's the kind of wisdom? We've got people learning how to teach and preach and speak the gospel in ways that are freaking amazing. You want, to, you want to see what God's like? You want to grow in the knowledge of God? Get out on mission with him. Remember Jesus said, I, I'll always be with you on this mission. You'll never go alone in all authority's mine." Get out on a mission that requires God to show up. And you'll be blown away at who he is and what he does and what he's waiting to do in and through you, in and through us. Paul says that pleases God. He loves that. And then verse 11 Another way to please God, Paul says, is being strengthened by God's power pleases God. (laughs) Well, there's a good deal. Who's doing the strengthening? God. But if we're strengthened by God's power, God's stoked about it. He's pleased with that. Let me ask you, what is it that gives us God's power? Yeah, Holy Spirit, right? It's the Holy Spirit that gives us the power. So it's all of this is God's work, actually. It's His strength, and then He strengthens us to go out and do His work that pleases Him. Amazing. Let me ask you this. What does it look like to do mission or do life, you know, as the church, under your own power instead of God's power? Let's start with that. What do you think? This would not be pleasing to God, but what does that look like? It's a lot harder for the wrench to tighten the bolt. If we are the wrench, but God's hand's not on it. We're just trying to... All right. All right. right. <laughs> I, I'm with you, brother. In what other ways? <laughs> what does it look like to do life or mission not in God's strength? It's exhausting because it's too big for us. Tiring on the whole wrench that's what you got. boring and dutiful, like okay, I gotta do this, and uh, I'm supposed to do this. Stressful. Stressful. Unproductive. Unproductive. Yeah. Yeah, unproductive. And why do we do it that way? Because we were told to do it that way. Yeah. Why do you think we do life and mission under our own strength instead of God's amazing strength that's totally waiting for us and now we know it pleases God even? What do you think? Fear of what? Okay. Maybe if I trust God, He won't show up. So that's a lack of belief in who God is. How powerful He really is in His promises. What He says He'll do. Okay. So maybe it's unbelief. Wanting to be in okay, wanting to be in control. What are you thinking when you say that? It, it, it's, your, it's based on your effort and your merit. Then you're in control. All the dynamics and how it's provided for the same thing. Like using your your resources, your talent. Yeah. is your God of the mission if it's the size and scope that you can control. You know what's freaky about that? You know what the prophets say about that? They said even your righteous acts okay, the right stuff is filthy rags to God. Filthy bloody rags. Do I need to describe that anymore? Everybody know what he's talking about there? He's saying even when you go out on mission and you're like oh here we are. Here we go, Red Sea. We're on mission. We're making disciples out here. You do it in your own strength and God goes like, really? Filthy rags. Get that away from me. What's the truth of this? If we're out in God's mission trying to make disciples in our own strength and not in God's power, who are we really making disciples of? Ourselves. Ourselves. And I I tell you what, I am so prone to that. All this, I'm so prone to wanting to just do and be within the scope of Caesar's god You know, like, what I get to be God over. And if I can fool everybody, then I could, you know. But the truth is, you know the difference. You know when you're out there in your own steam, because you're stressing out, you're trying to control people, you're freaking out a little bit. When you're trying to make disciples of people, and they're not coming along, or, Jesus, they're not reading the Bible, or, like, they're not looking much like Jesus, you know, and you're just freaking out on them about their life. Jesus, God's like, that's, that's not pleasing to me. Even your righteous stuff is filthy rags to me. Okay, let's go to the good side of this, though. Because it is pleasing to God when He strengthens us and we do His mission. What does it look like to do life, to do gospel life, to do mission under the strength of the Spirit? Okay, Good. We would be patient. We would wait on His timing, not ours. So as I make disciples, it wouldn't be like, "Here's your schedule." <laughs> God, I have a wonderful plan for your life. You know, <laughs> old school, but that's you know how we roll, right? Okay, good. We'd be patient. What else would it look like to do this, strengthened by living in the power of the Spirit? Yeah, there'd be peace about it. God can accomplish this. It's His mission. Relax. <laughs> Pressure's off, man. What else? Be more courageous. Okay. Love that. Be more courageous about all this. The outcome would always be good. good. It'd be His work for His glory. It'd always be His outcome. If we're just resting in His strength and power... And it, it's, I'm just going to tell you, it's going to take you to freaky... Edge of the universe type experiences, but it's his outcome. And if you trust him, no need to even test it. You can fling yourself into that life. That's called faith. It's by faith that we're saved. Without faith, scripture says, impossible to please God. Same as what the prophet said. Yeah, that's what's going on. Being strengthened by God's power and doing a mission that's so far beyond this, but not beyond him, because we already know the end. That pleases him. And it's his work. So all we really do is submit to that. We just surrender to that. Super, super powerful. And last week, Paul, you know, read that the Colossians would grow in faith, love, and hope. And now, guess what? He, same thing he all just said. He prays that they would, they would have great endurance and patience and joy. Endurance and patience. Think about endurance. Paul is saying, family, in light of all this, don't give up. Don't give up. Don't grow weary. Don't do this in your own strength. Ask for more. Ask for more faith. God says, if you ask for faith, He's he's faithful. He's abundant to give it. He doesn't hold or find fault like you should know better. Endure. Don't grow weary in the flesh. Hang in there. God is working it all out in His timing if we're submitting as a community. And He's praying for patience. And someone said that in the power of the Spirit, we would be patient. God's God's the one who's changing hearts and moving. God's the one that's going to multiply us out as a family. Like Paul is saying, it's going to the ends of the earth. You know, that's what the gospel is doing. And it's doing it in and through you. Be patient. You know, and I think he's saying, be patient with yourself too. Sometimes we can beat ourselves up because we're just not growing enough in the faith. And we've, Paul's already given us the answer. We're probably doing it in our own strength. Submit to the power that raised Christ from the dead, the Spirit, and be patient. God's got a trajectory for you all. Be, be patient with your kids, be patient with your spouse because they're at a different place than you are, and you wish they were here or whatever, be patient. God's got it all figured out. See, as soon as you grab back a hold of the wrench, as soon as you grab back a hold of the wheel, you're going like, God, yeah, I got this. Let me handle it. Paul's saying, be patient. The God of the universe has got the whole story written out. Just go with the flow. Go with Him. And then he's, he's praying. So he's praying, endurance, patience, and joy. Joy and thanksgiving to the Father. He's saying, and you know what? While you do this, remember you get to be stoked about it. It should be blowing your mind. You should be amazed that you get used in this way. That the God who created the universe, and, it, and Scripture says at the very before he even started, he went like, oh, and I've got some stuff for Red Sea to do, and by name and by hair color, and you know, and like dates and times, and he's. Really? Yeah. He prepared in advance the good works for us to do. And Paul's saying, I'm going to pray that you'll be stoked about that, that you get to. That you get to. That God's actually counted you worthy to, to represent his image in the world, to care for his stuff, to walk with him. Oh man, Paul's saying, I hope I hope that gives you great joy. And in fact, that's going to be like a light in the darkness if you live that way. People are going to see you like and go like, what is up with them? What's up with that Red Sea family? I mean, they kind of live like paupers at times because they're just giving their stuff to everybody and sharing it all. But they're loving it. It's like they won the lottery or something. So Paul's praying for that. He's praying for that. Now, sort of as I kind of head towards wrapping up to kind of just go minorly technical for just a second with you, this passage, the, the, the one right before, at the beginning of the prayer, verses 3 through 6, and, 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 and then 7 and 8 in the middle, and then what we just read, is in, oops is in what is known in literary terms as a chiasmus. It's a Greek word that means X marks the spot. Okay? So, we don't have this in our Western way of writing. We just kind of write stuff out. we got to, you know, a sentence and we got a paragraph and then we got a chapter, and that's kind of, you know. But there's, in other forms of literature, there's all kinds of stuff. A chiasmus says, Watch this. And they kind of like, lay out a set of like ideas and arguments, and then X marks the spot, and in the middle is really the point. Like, here's the point. And then they, in reverse order, they lay out the same basic stuff in another way, but the same categories. And it's a way of going, like, You can't miss it. I just said it twice. It all points to the middle. X marks the spot. That's what this prayer is about. Now, the, the, the X in that spot happens in verse 7 and 8. Paul is basically... You know, all this stuff that's going on amongst you I'm stoked about, but I wish there was more fruitful multiplication. Here's the point. Going, You learned the gospel from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. Paul is saying that this guy Epaphras, who was the one who actually took the gospel to the Colossians, he's saying, Epaphras is a living example of what I'm praying for you in this prayer. All the stuff we just talked about, Paul is saying, you want to know what, that, you know what, I, you know what I'm saying? Look at this guy Epaphras' life. He's living out exactly this gospel, fruitful multiplication, pleasing to God, worthy life that I want for all of you. So they had a living example amongst them. Recently I got an email from one of our own... missional community leaders up north. Okay, Just normal, normal guy, Seth McBee, friend of ours. Normal guy, works a job like everybody else. Starting to lead a missional community in his neighborhood. And he wrote an email to some other missional community leaders. Just to share it to you. I think this guy Seth is a modern day Epaphras. When I, when I read this passage... And I go like, wow, Epaphras was the living example of what Paul was talking about. This email from, a, from our brother Seth is just like that. Bear with me, it's a few minutes long, but it's awesome. This is just a couple weeks ago. He says, it's 10.25 p.m. It's about two hours after our house has been cleared from our neighbors and friends, coming over for the first night of the story formed way. Now the story formed way is 10 weeks of like taking people through the story of God in your house. It's real casual. Some of you already know it and are using it. So it's the first night of starting this with some of our neighbors, two hours after the house is cleared. He says, I've been anxious for this night since the 4th of July. So last 4th of July. He just wrote this. When I started to see what it meant to live a life that was full of intentionality for the sake of making disciples. The night of the 4th was full of what ifs. What if I could, and then he crosses that out, what if God could use a small community like here in Maple Valley, that's the part of the neighborhood in Seattle he lives What if God could use a small community like ours to bring glory to his name? What if God could start to build a true community into a place where I've lived for seven years and I don't know anyone apart from those who live right next door to me? What if God used something like celebrating our freedom as a nation on the 4th to eventually point to the hearts of my neighbors that there is full freedom in the life filled with the Spirit? So much of this language is just like Colossians. It's crazy. He goes, what if? Nah, That's too big for a God who brought creation from literally nothing. That's too big for a God who brought a flood. That's too big for a God who split the Red Sea. That's too big for a God who promised one who was coming to take away the sins of the world. That's too big for a God who was killed and then conquered death. Uh, That'd just be too big to ask a God who saved 3,000 souls at Pentecost. That's too big for a God who saved a wretch like me and transferred me from life to death. Why would, why would he care for a small community in a, in a town, in a state, in the upper corner of a wealthy, selfish nation? Why? Because God cares for me as one of his own sons. He says, I want to say thank you to my Soma family. I started off by fighting against what Soma was saying about making disciples. Bear with me here as he kind of kicks our butt a little bit. He says, I started off by fighting against what Soma was saying about making disciples. It was just too big a calling. I would rather live my, my life for myself than others. I'd rather take of my own fruit and live for my own way than that of Jesus. He says, but Soma wouldn't shut up about making disciples and preaching the good news to my heart. I thank God for you, family, every day, and that you continued to press into me. I thank God that you didn't allow me to fall into my old life of selfish ambition for the sake of making, for the sake of making disciples of Seth instead of making disciples for the most caring father the most caring king, the most caring comforter. I'm glad God told my mind to shut up and grabbed a hold of my heart to follow what Soma was calling me to. Because it wasn't or isn't about Soma. It wasn't about Soma. It's always been about and always will be about making disciples for the glory of God. He says, on the 4th of July, I listened. I felt like Samuel saying to God, Speak, for your servant is listening. Since then, we've been trying to live on mission for Maple Valley. We've done a bunch of stuff to try and build community for the sake of making disciples. And tonight, I was reminded why we have labored just for a mere six months. Because tonight, we started the story. He says, I thought I was excited about the story before. But tonight has given me such a rush of excitement, I had to write all of you. We had four families from our neighborhood join us. All because of the relationships we've built over the last six months. So there's three, there's three young couples that are just normal, believing couples that are part of SOMA up there. And then they got four neighbors that are not yet believers, four couples and their kids, okay, who, who've been with them. He says, they were all engaged tonight throughout the story and the conversations were downright amazing. But the impact was great when I asked the last question. If we believe this story is true, how should it affect us as we live together in a community? One by one, my neighbors started to tell how the neighborhood and this life together has affected their lives. They started to tell us how much they brag about the community we've developed. They started to speak about the neighborhood breakfasts, the 4th of July, our parties that we throw. He did a wiffle ball tournament for their neighborhood, like 200 people. Amazing. And everyone just said, everyone we talk to is so envious. One stated, my grandma said that it reminded her of what it meant like to truly live like community in the 40s. We were amazed as we spent the last 15 minutes tonight just speaking about how much we love our neighborhood and how much our neighborhood story is reminding us of the story of God. So much so, one of our neighbors who isn't a Christian said, we should find a way we could serve the poor together as a community. We have such a great thing here together, we should share it with others. See what the gospel is doing in their hearts? Another admitted that they had always talked about buying a bigger house elsewhere... ...but all those talks had gone away because they refused to move out of this neighborhood. Another said that they have never felt judged for their lifestyle... ...or whether they were rich or not. They just felt loved and accepted by us and those around them. He said the stories literally went on and on. I was close to tears. So I had to share this just to reach out and say thank you to everyone. You might remember four months ago when I was praying at a missional community's training... ...and I shared that no one was willing to join us on our mission in this city... With that part of the neighborhood there. Well, since that time of prayer, two families, others from Soma, joined us. And we're now already seeing and expecting that God will be turning our neighbor's hearts toward him. We so much firmly believe that this is part of our covenant that we just worked out their mission. That we believe that God's going to actually multiply us into three missional communities by the end of this year. So I just want to say thank you to all of you who have been praying for us. It's meant so much. Know that you've shown me a picture of who Jesus is. And I thank him for that. I love that. He's not even thanking us. He's thanking God for showing a picture of himself through us to him. He says, I praise God for your faith. I praise God for his story. I praise God for being patient with me. I praise God for those he is preparing a place for in heaven from those who sat in my living room tonight. He says, I can't wait to praise God with the angels when my neighbors repent and believe this good news. Thank you, family. Thank you for loving God and loving us way out here. May God be glorified. Peace. Seth, It's amazing. This is is just like the Colossians. It's exactly like what Paul was saying. That when the gospel takes root, this is the fruit you'll see. You've got these not-yet-believers already going like, this is too good for us to keep this to ourselves. How do we go out and serve others and invite them into this? Is the gospel producing and multiplying fruitfulness in your life? Are you living life in community that better is God's image than you ever could alone? Jada said earlier, like, if you're not in a missional community yet, you're really not experiencing Red Sea as a family. If you're, if you're still just sort of coming and hanging out on Sunday, well, I mean, we're stoked... You know, we're glad you're here, but that's not what Jesus died for. He wants you to be in a community so together you'll better see and look like Jesus. So, like, today's the day of that. If, you, if you've been kind of sidelining and you've not gotten connected to a missional community yet, you need to go out, and, out there and connect at the connect table and, and figure out where there's some folks that you can start to journey with. They need you. They need the part of the body that you bring. And you need them. Are you increasingly spending time with God and getting to know what He's like? And are you increasing in your gospel proclamation, caring for God's creation in the best possible way? Are you keeping the good news to yourself or are you letting the Spirit's power just let it flow through you both in how you live and proclamation? Telling people. Is that growing? The gospel's come to root in your life. Paul says it will be. I'm just going to ask you to stand. We're going to get ready to go take some communion together as a family. And I want to pray these same things over us as a community. I want to pray for the same stuff Paul prayed last faith, love, and hope. I pray for endurance, patience, and joy as well. I just wants this to be true for us. True? Because the gospel has come. Father, I want to pray for more faith for us as a family, as a community. That we would truly believe that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was for us. Lord, we want to have the faith to believe that and walk out that faith knowing that we are fully accepted because of His work. Lord, we want to have the faith that says, we said you'll do. That you will make disciples of all nations through us if we would submit to that. Us, Lord? Yeah, really us, Lord. We want to believe that. more love for this family that we would experience your love in greater ways that we would love each other as family in sacrificial ways which would show each other what you're really like and Lord that we would be super loving community to to those here in Portland Lord that, that Red Sea would be marked by love whatever regardless of whatever else people would say they would say these are people who love these people love us Lord, I want to pray for hope, like Paul prayed for the Colossians. I pray for us today, Lord, that we'd have great hope, that we know the end, that we win, that you are going to use us to do this. That it's you that does the work, so we're not hoping we measure up, but we know because what you've done, it it is finished. Lord, give us great hope for the future, what you're going to use us and do us. Lord, we envision a city that's blanketed with gospel communities living out on mission. Lord, give us the faith and hope to believe you in that. Lord, I pray for endurance that we would not grow weary, that we wouldn't give up. Lord, that as our flesh bumps up against this life that you've called us to lay down our life, it feels hard and we want to give up because we love our flesh, we love our stuff, we love our patterns, we love our lives. Lord, help us not to grow weary. Help us to just keep trusting you and dying to self that we'd have great endurance for this. Lord, we have just but a handful of years here and then we get to hang out with you in eternity forever and ever Lord let us not be so blind that we would try to stack the next 20, 30, 40 years full of crap and stuff but that we would have just a great endurance to stay on mission by your strength. Lord I pray for patience. Oh Lord that we be patient we be patient with you and what you're doing patient with the process you bring us through Lord sometimes you bring us through painful things or things that confuse the heck out of us and we don't know what you're doing but you said no I chasten those who I love and I'm forming you into my son I promised you I would Lord, help us to be patient with that process. Your ways are perfect. Help us to be patient as we make disciples in the city. Lord, the ground is hard and the attack is is fierce. Help us to be patient that as you form us, you will form others. Lord, let that be true of us. family. And Lord, I pray that we would have great joy and thankfulness. That the whole time your spirit would be reminding us of we're the chosen ones. We're the royal priesthood here in Portland. We're this light in a very dark city. Lord, I can't believe we get to let joy be evident in our life. Lord, you say to be thankful in all things. So Lord, even the hard stuff, we thank you because we know that you're sovereign and your ways are perfect and good and right. So I pray for great joy and thankfulness. And Lord, as we go to now take take up offerings, let it be a reflection of our heart, Lord, that we really do have faith. It's not our stuff, it's yours, Lord. We came into the world and we'll leave that way. Let us show that we love you and trust you by being really generous that the gospel might go out and be fruitful and multiply. Lord, this is this will be an immediate test of our faith. And Lord, as we take communion, we're reminded of a new covenant. A new covenant where you said, I will now not only be your God, but allow you to be my people. I've laid my life down that you'd be forgiven, that you'd be filled with my spirit so that you could go out and make disciples of mine. Lord, when we take that bread, we remember your body given for us. Your entire life lived and then died and then raised to new life on our behalf for your Father's glory. And then your blood, Lord, the blood of that new covenant that seals it. Lord, life is in your blood and you gave us that. It's that, Lord, that we celebrate. This is not a somber thing, Lord. We celebrate the greatest victory, the greatest gift ever given, Lord. And it's what will give us faith and hope and love and endurance and patience and joy It's your life lived in us. So I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We pray all these things in your powerful name, expecting you to do the things you've promised in us. We love you today. Amen. So we're going to be taking communion today in the back of the room. There's a few tables set up. And I want to encourage you to go as families. Don't queue up like in a line, like it's a process, but go as a family taking a meal and speak words of life to each other. This is Christ's body given for you. And and break bread and pass and share. Go as a family, common union today. And enjoy the goodness and the reminder of what Christ has done for us. Amen.